One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, what the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's Jack from Cultaholic back again a couple of weeks late. I do apologize for my matches of the month for September. Now, um, yeah, as I say, apologies for being a little bit late on this one. Um, it was my birthday, October 1st, and then I took a week off from work after that. And um, before I knew it, it was the middle of October. So um, finally, I'm getting around to matches of the month for September. Um, hopefully you can all forgive me for that. And don't worry, because it means that matches of the month for October will be a shorter wait, won't it? Uh, lots of good stuff to talk about. We've got AEW, we've got WWE, we've got some Mexican stuff, we've got some Japanese stuff as well. So let's waste no further time and let's get straight into it. These are my matches of the month. He's trapped. He's choking him out. Look at his face. He's turning to be red. And how tough is Omega? Takesha's got to stay focused. Right now, the kneecap fully exposed. What a mama! That is it. Two. Stop. When it comes to September wrestling events, there was only really one place for me to start, and that was, of course, AEW All Out, which followed a bit of a strange pattern because, well, oh no, the kind of the usual pattern, I suppose, for AEW, which is dodgy build. This obviously came just one week after All In. Quick turnaround, and then they put on a show of the year contender. Obviously, I would have rather have gone to All In, and I'm very glad that I did, just for the scale of it and the spectacle and everything. But I have to concede that out of the two, just pound for pound, I think All Out was probably a better uh, wrestling event. So let's crack on and talk about some of the best matches from that. The first one I want to talk about is the strap match. Brian Danielson versus Absolute Ricky Starks. I was proper and happy with AEW in the build-up to this one. Uh, for a combination of reasons. Yes, to be fair, my enthusiasm was a bit low because CM Punk was gone uh, in the week between All In and All Out. And I know I'm a huge CM Punk fan, obviously. I know a lot of that was down to himself as well. But if if I've ever got the choice of seeing CM Punk wrestle or not seeing CM Punk wrestle, I'm going to go with CM Punk being a wrestler in an active wrestling promotion, aren't I? Um, anyway, I also wasn't really thrilled about the card for this one. It looked a lot smaller than All In, but as I say, it, it made up for it by being an excellent show. Uh, and also, Brian's involvement itself. He obviously missed All In due to injury. Uh, and I speculated on Twitter in the build-up to All Out that he may have been rushed back from injury to take Punk's place in this storyline. This was obviously going to be Punk versus Ricky Starks. And then it's like Tony Khan pressed the panic button and brought in Brian Danielson instead so soon after, well, you know, he's still recovering from this injury. And the fact that that one week between All In and All Out was allegedly enough time for Brian to recover, hey, it might have been, I don't know. But I, I speculated on Twitter that he might have rushed uh, Brian back. And I thought, it, if if true, if that is the case, obviously... I thought that was a bit hypocritical of Tony because, you know, his whole, the, the safety of everybody is paramount after the punk stuff and his whole speech when he said, I feared for my life when punk was kicking off backstage. We haven't seen the footage. We don't know to what extent punk was, you know, being aggressive. I'm sure he was. Um, for Tony to come out and say, I feared for my life, it's going to have to, if the footage ever does emerge, it's going to have to be quite something. Um, and then to bring back Brian Danielson, who, remember, used to be retired due to injuries, 
to bring him back so soon from an injury, it just felt, yeah, as I say, a little bit hypocritical. However, on the other hand, it was an excellent match and he didn't get hurt in it. So fair enough. Maybe, you know what? Maybe Tony was right. Maybe I was wrong. Um, it did lead to this excellent match. Um, and I thought that the theme of this match was like, they didn't do anything you wouldn't expect, but they executed it all to perfection. I really, really enjoyed this match. Um, Starks obviously jumped Brian before the bell, busting him open. There was all the vicious shots back and forth with the strap. Ricky Steamboat, of course, got involved at ringside to stop Big Bill. And we had the the ending of Brian choking Starks out with the strap. Um, yeah, all stuff you could possibly have predicted happening, but at the same time, executed superbly. For any other wrestler to step into a feud so personal regarding, you know, Punk and Steamboat and their history and, and Starks coming in as this upstart. For any other wrestler to step into that quite personal feud would have been an impossible task. But Brian can just do it. He can just do whatever. He is one of the best ever. I, I know Starks lost the match and many people want to see newer talent get elevated by legendary figures like Brian Danielson. But I think in this specific case, it was absolutely fine. That, that Brian got the win because Starks had just beaten up Ricky Steamboat. He needed to get his comeuppance. And I think that was the right call. Uh, and it was done in sort of satisfactorily, uh, satisfyingly, I should say, uh, brutal fashion. I thought it was really good. We'll talk about that rematch a bit later on in this podcast, actually. The last man or the Texas death match on TV. That one, I feel like Starks might, maybe could have got his win back. So I'm less okay with the result of that one. But for this first one, this strap match, excellent stuff. Absolutely loved it. Couldn't think of a better match to start off this podcast with. Uh, the second match I want to talk about is also from All Out. Kenny Omega versus Konosuke Takeshita of the Don Callis family. Um, you know, time catches up with everybody. Everybody slows down. All wrestlers do. They can't avoid it. It just depends. Some slow down later than others in their career and stuff. And I foolishly thought we were about to see the decline of Kenny Omega after he got all banged up and, and took that long-awaited break from AEW, which he definitely needed. Um, and I thought, he's not going to come back quite the same guy. 2023 has proven me absolutely wrong about that. The feud with Osprey, of course, was magical, and I hope we get a third match as well. And now this bout against Takeshita, which was also wonderful and very brutal as well, to be fair. Brutal in a different way to the Starks-Danielson strap match. Brutal within the parameters of a, like a normal singles match, which is arguably more terrifying because you've got visual brutality with blood and weapons and everything. Then you've got blokes dropping each other on their heads. And that's brutal in, a, I think, a more intense way, actually. Not always great, but in this match, I think it was warranted because it's so personal and everything. By the way, how good is Kanosuke Takeshita? We all know how great Omega is. Takeshita is unbelievable. When he first turned heel, I just wasn't sure about it, you know? It seemed like he would be such a natural babyface in AEW with his very exciting, hard-hitting offense. He's a big boy, but he flies around really, you know, crowd-popping strikes and everything, big knees and stuff. I just thought he was the sort of person that it's so easy to get behind at a wrestling show. Uh, and also, as one of the few Japanese talents in a promotion that has more than a few fans familiar with Japanese wrestling as well, so they're going to respect him for coming from that scene and... I just thought, yeah, it, all the ingredients were there for a big baby face run. Then he turned heel. I was uncertain. And uh, again, I was wrong <laughs> because it's been fantastic. Don Callis has been a wonderful manager for him. Uh, he now seems like this big bully, like this big athletic all-rounder who is just truly hard to beat in a wrestling match. They've done a really good job so far of elevating Takeshita. Apparently, uh, I did my research. Apparently, these two, Omega and Takeshita, have had two singles matches in the past, both in DDT Takeshita's previous promotion in 2012 and 2013. Uh, I've not seen either of those matches, uh, but I saw that Omega won both of them. He would have been by far the more established name at the time. I believe Takeshita's wrestling debut came in 2011. So these matches only took place like one or two years into his very career. Um, Omega would have been not that far off going to New Japan. Um, so he would have been the, the more established dude at the time. It's no surprise that he won those matches. But I like it. I like that background as an added wrinkle to this match, like an old foe coming back to haunt Omega, now far more experienced and deadly, and of course, under the guidance of Omega's previous mentor. Really good match. Slightly different to like an Omega New Japan singles match from back when he was in that having that insane run in New Japan. But it was a little bit more fast-paced. Obviously, it was in the middle of the card. It wasn't like a big slow main event epic match. And they just went for it. And I thought the, the fast pace really helped the bout as well. Magnificent stuff. Obviously, Takeshita won, which uh, I wasn't expecting. But looking back now, in the middle of October, 
I don't think the Don Callis family have lost since they came together. I might be wrong, but I'm enjoying it. And I'm glad that that's continued for now uh, until somebody takes them down. So another great match there. And then the main event, of course, John Moxley winning the international title from Orange Cassidy, who, by the way, I feel like because everyone's obviously been saying, wow, Cassidy's international title run was amazing. And it was, I feel like I've not mentioned him nearly enough on matches of the month. I guess the issue is that his title run was, the story of his title run was consistency and versatility against all manner of opponents, turning out very good matches week after week, rather than like banger after banger, you know? Like it wasn't like they were all match of the year candidates. They were just very good TV matches. But I can't argue with the fact that he was so invaluable to AEW and their televised product. I'm also glad that he got the reward of a big main event here as well. Even if like I've been frustrated about MJF slipping down the card and being tangled up in the tag division and suddenly not defending the AEW World Championship in main events and stuff like that. Um, I still think that it's good that AEW have got a deep enough talent pool where even if the booking's a little bit awry, they've still got people like Orange Cassidy who can fully step up and, and kind of carry some of the load. So that's worked out very well. Um, this was a great matchup as well because it was similar to when... I thought it was similar to when Cassidy faced, obviously, the ultra-intense pack, but this is a different Cassidy now, one who can really hang with the best of them. He's not this ultimate underdog. Um, he was obviously the underdog in this match, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been beyond the realms of possibility that he could have pulled out a win here. I thought it was dramatic and violent, again, in yet a different way to the previous two matches I've talked about here. They've all been violent in different ways, and it was a very brutal show, but they managed to get away with it by having all the brutality come across in different ways. Um, this one was also kind of emotionally brutal. It was quite heartbreaking as Cassidy obviously lost the title and then uh, things get a bit messy after this match with Moxley getting injured in his first defense against Phoenix, losing the belt in an audible. And then it was going to set up the rematch, wasn't it, very recently as I record this, but um, Moxley wasn't cleared to wrestle. So they've given it back to Cassidy, which I think is fair enough. I don't know whether he's going to lose it back to Moxley in yet another match. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing these two go against each other once again. But then you've got to have Cassidy lose again, and I really don't think that helps him. I think I'd almost rather see Cassidy lose to, like, a nefarious heel via cheating means, and then Moxley can beat that heel for the belt if they really do want to get the international title back on John Moxley. Um, but yes, another great match. Uh, you know what? I said I wasn't happy about the all-out card in the build-up to all-out, but... It proved itself to be a very worthy main event um, and a really good match. I also want to give a quick mention to a fourth match on the show as well. Uh, Miro versus Powerhouse Hobbs. Yes, it was messy and it was loose. but And yes, it had to compete with all these other brilliant matches on the show. But I thought it was fantastic in a weird way, in its own right. Um, in its own right. It was like, it was kind of a throwback. Just two big boys going at each other. I really enjoyed it for what it was. Um, all of those four matches together mean that All Out, in my mind, is a genuine show of the year contender. It could even be the show of the year, even after an underwhelming build and then having to follow a mammoth event at Wembley just the week before. So well done, AW. Good stuff. Oh, my God. Stratus is up 15 to 20 feet in the air here. Not from up there. Superplex. Sammy and Kevin Owens, I believe, we're in the penalty box, but no longer. He's wearing 66. That's La Magnifique, baby. I'm going to do a fight in a hockey game broke out. And here's the Eradicator. Rhea Ripley with a spare for the barricade. The Kevin Owens. Rhea Ripley just eradicated Kevin Owens. Right, yes, let's talk about payback, which feels a long time ago now. I don't know if the Triple H magic maybe has worn off as the merger with, with UFC got closer and closer, and he knew that there was a risk that Vince's role might increase again, or if he's just in a bit of a creative slump. I love WWE's pay-per-views for the first half of this year. I thought they were amazing. And one of his real strengths as well was even the B pay-per-views, you know, like Backlash in Puerto Rico, Money in the Bank in London. They all had their own identity. They were all exciting in their own way. Now we've had a run of WWE pay-per-views that have not been... They've been fine. The shows have been good. They've been okay. Fastlane we've just had was good. Payback was good. SummerSlam, yeah, it was good as well. Like, it's not popping off as much as it was, you know what I mean? I don't know if you agree or not, but that's that's just how I'm seeing it currently. Let's talk about payback. And I don't think it did have kind of the sparkle or the magic that, you know, those shows I've just mentioned did. Backlash, Money in the Bank. Uh, but there are two matches that I want to mention. I don't think anything touched the quality of All Out, but 
these these two matches were in the same sort of ballpark, I suppose. First one, I want to talk about Judgment Day versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Uh, their street fight was very cool, although sandwiched between two AEW pay-per-views, I don't know if it felt a bit sanitized. I know Owens bled all over the place, but if you put that aside, it kind of still felt like WWE's version of a wild brawl, even down to the changing into the Pittsburgh hockey jerseys to pop the hometown crowd. When AEW go a bit unhinged, they do it in a far more reckless way, in, the, in a good way, I mean, whereas WWE do it in a, within, the, within the boundaries of what WWE violence looks like. Um, also, after we've seen like so years now of bloodline wins due to interference, and now the Judgment Day winning loads of matches due to interference, I think it can get a bit old, uh, and that's kind of the, the ending of this match did leave me cold. I, I admit that I think it was the right call to have the Judgment Day win, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm not as hot on the Judgment Day as everyone else is. I like their individual personalities and stuff. I just, I think they're, maybe they're a bit oversaturated at the minute. Like they're on Raw, SmackDown and NXT and they're all over pay-per-view cards and everything. I don't know. Um, they are absolutely everywhere, aren't they? Especially when Roman hasn't been around. It feels like the Judgment Day have been the main thing on all of the brands and pay-per-views as well. Um, but I did enjoy this match, even if it was WWE's type of wild brawl. I still think it's worth a watch, and I would recommend that you watch it if you haven't. The opening match of Payback as well is the other noteworthy one, I think. This was the big one that everyone was talking about afterwards. Trish Stratus versus Becky Lynch in the Steel Cage. Here's, right, here's how I watch pay-per-views. I'm going to give a peek behind the curtain into the cultaholic process. I watch it in one room in the office away from the live streams that you may see us do on YouTube with, uh, I think the WWE team is Adam Pacitti and Andrew Hodkinson. They're obviously hyped up, they're live streaming, they're having a great time, but they're in a separate room to me and the editors uh, and Aiden, our news guy who watches them sometimes in the office with us, we're all kind of watching it in a slightly more subdued environment and we do pay attention and we do get excited when something cool happens, but it's not like the lads watching it on a live stream. And it means that we can take things a different way. We're not influenced by the reaction of a live chat, for example, and then after the show, when they finish their live stream and they come back over to our side of the building, it can often kind of mess with you because your opinion of the show can massively differ from someone who's been watching it just a room away. Uh, sometimes it can feel maybe a little bit like, oh, was I wrong? Did I not enjoy that match as much as those guys did? And then you look on social media and there's been so many times when I've looked on Twitter and thought, really, everyone's talking about that match like it was a match of the year? And it's been one that underwhelmed us when we're all watching it in in the office. I don't really know. It can mess with you. Uh, this match is a prime example of that. So I had to go back and watch it again. And on the second viewing, Becky versus Trish was better than the first viewing. Um, but I, I just thought everyone was going a bit over the top with the praise for it. Sometimes... I find like I'm in the middle of the two extremes. So like some people will be like, that was amazing. That was such a good match. Sometimes people are like, that was terrible. And I'm often floating between. I think part of that's the tribalism online between WWE and AW loyalists. Um, what I will say is I, I fully appreciated the effort given here and respected what Trish Stratus did. And the fact that it may have been her best match ever, although I would still give it to uh, her versus Stephanie at No Way Out 2001. If you've never seen that match, Oh my God, it's so good. You never expect it to be as good as it is. I don't know if this match really painted a full picture for me. They both tried incredibly hard. They both deserve a lot of praise for that. But aside from the big moments, which were very impressive, like that huge spot off the top of the cage, I don't know if the glue of the match, like the stuff in between the big moments, really held up for me. So it's not strictly one of my like best matches of the month. But I did think it was a noteworthy one. And one that was interesting to analyze because I think that I'm way down on it compared to most other people. And I don't know if I'm very wrong for that. Um, also, and this is a separate criticism. This isn't a knock on the match itself. What have they done to Zoe Starks? Because the aftermath of this one, obviously Zoe gets in the ring. Trish blames her for losing. And Zoe hits her move and, and she stands tall over Trish. And it's like, whoa, she's going to be the next big star of the women's division. And I thought it was going to be like a launch pad for Zoe. And now she's getting battered by Nia Jax. I just, there's no other way around it. I just think that's bad booking. I'll give a quick mention as well to Rollins versus Nakamura. Um, I guess this may have been the wrong sort of match for the feud that had built it. I wanted it to be vicious and intense and a bit more energetic and fast, but it was like a big, long, grand main event. Um, however, and I'm not going to talk about it on this episode because it was an October match, but... The last man standing match, I think, was probably a bit closer to what I expected. So fair play to them. This was kind of just chapter one. Um, and I, I get why they like. They kept they kept a lot in reserve. So yeah, 
let's move on to a section I've now called Other WWE and AEW, because there was a lot of good matches on TV this month. Let's have a look. And now Dragunov has Hayes in his sights. Dragunov went deep, deep, deep down inside to pull off that superplex right there. He's got... Torpedo oh, yes! Didn't get caught. H-bomb! 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 Second one connects, floats into the cover, and another, another kick out. Holy, you know what? I can't get fired tonight, but I almost said a four-letter word I'm not allowed to say. What a main event! This is wild. Brian Danielson wrapping that that chain around his knee, put up a psycho knee. The blood flowing, Nigel. What a sadistic man! Anything to win, a Texas death man. The psycho means ugly. And he's going to rearrange the facial features of Ricky Stark. Oh, come on. The Psychony. Good Lord of mercy. Trying to make it back to a vertical base. Gunther on his back. Trying to break this sleeper. But again, Cable got the shoulders down. And Gunther's got to release the sleeper. What a reversal from Cable, but straight back. In. Oh, my oh. God. Drop right on the top of his head. And just like that, power bomb. And a lariat clothesline. Gunther makes history. Here is your winner. And still the Intercontinental Champion. family in tears what a performance by chad gable who will have to wait another day to win his first singles championship but gunther continues his dominant march into the history books congratulations to the ring general gunther the first match i want to talk about uh, completely against what I just said. Wasn't on TV. It was an NXT special event, but still. Uh, Ilya Dragunov versus Carmelo Hayes for the NXT title. Very epic, big match stuff. I thought this match had the right sort of impact about it. Very hard-hitting, very dramatic. Um, and they also were, they were laying in big shots as well. They weren't just laying in their strikes, though. They were laying in the high-risk moves or the power moves as well. Like big, dramatic tornado DDTs and stuff. Or they'd do like a coast-to-coast dropkick. And you'd get a sense that they were really crashing into each other. No wonder Ilya was uh, busted open towards the end as well. I also like the false finishing stretch into the real finishing stretch. It was like the match reached a, a level, reached a crescendo, but it was just a, it was, oh, just kidding. And then there's like another bigger finishing stretch as well. Sometimes that can backfire. And often I just want the match to have finished when it first seemed to be wrapping up. But in this case, I think it improved the match. So very good stuff there. Um, I heard Brian Alvarez and Big Vinny V on um, Wrestling Observer Live debate whether this or Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. was the match of that weekend. Now, Brian versus Zack came at WrestleDream, which was on the 1st of October, so we'll talk about that next month. But, I mean, not going to spoil anything, but I thought Brian versus Zack was a different level to this. Not not to, not to criticize this match, which I really enjoyed, but I couldn't believe they were debating it because one was a very, very good match, and then one was like something else entirely. So we'll get to that next month, though. Um, but yeah, huge performance from Ilya Dragunov. Uh, but I think they might have gone in there with the mindset of like, right, we're going to have an amazing five-star match with quite a few complex exchanges and difficult spots. And while they nailed everything, I thought the setups to certain moves maybe got a bit telegraphed as a result. I don't know. But uh, most people love this, and I was a big fan of it too. Both guys are really awesome. Uh, I don't know when Carmelo is going to get called up now that he's not the champion anymore. Looks like there's unfinished business with Trick Williams and stuff on NXT. But whenever he gets called up and whenever Dragunov gets called up, I think they're both, they both have all the tools necessary to really excel on the main roster. But as we all know from so many people like Andrade, Alistair Black, Ember Moon, Bobby Roode, an incredible run in NXT doesn't necessarily guarantee success on the main roster. So 
We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, the other big match on the show that I want to give a quick mention to was Becky Lynch versus Tiffany Stratton for the NXT Women's title. Becky keeping a hold of the belt after beating Tiffany for it. And um, it was a messy match, but it was an ambitious one. And they went out there and they they gave it their all. And I think it was kind of like, even though it was a different type of match, kind of similar, kind of comparable to Becky's other match that I just mentioned against Trish. So good stuff. I would have liked to maybe have seen Tiffany Stratton get her belt back, but Becky seems to be mixing it up now with Tegan Knox. Uh, she's going to have a match, I believe, against Lyra Valkyria in the works. One was teased with Jaya Lee as well recently. So she's she's giving chances to people who uh, perhaps wouldn't have got them otherwise. So I can't really hate on Becky Lynch still being NXT Women's Champion if it's going to lead to opportunities for underutilized members of the women's division. Gunter versus Chad Gable, really good stuff. Uh, obviously a, a highly anticipated TV match. I believe they gave it the main event of that week's Raw, did they? Um... Everyone in the world wanted to see Chad Gable win. He did have a previous victory over Gunter via countout. This was the proper one for the IC Championship, of course. Gunter's still in the midst of this mammoth, excellent reign. First half of the match was kind of ruined by ad breaks for me. I couldn't get into it as much as I wanted to. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. second half and the ending stretch was absolutely fantastic as the end of Gunter title matches tend to be more often than not my expectations for this one was sky high though which maybe maybe it would have been better on a pay-per-view although then it might not have gotten the spotlight it did as the main event of raw so it's a tricky one if it wasn't for the ad breaks and if they'd been given just a bit longer then you know i think it would have been phenomenal i'm holding on hope though that Gunter will somehow have to face Chad again and that Gable will work his way back into title contention. At the minute, he's not. He's been losing chances to get another title shot. I think Bronson Reed, at the time I record this, is the latest challenger for Gunter, which is very good. I mean, that'll be a great match as well, hopefully. But I'm going to predict that Gunter will win. And then I hope that it is Gable who finally beats him for that belt. Because at the minute, I can't think of any better contenders to do so. But your mileage may vary. Um, back over AW for the match I alluded to earlier. It's Danielson versus Starks again, this time the Texas Death match, which was a great match. Slightly more walk and brawl, I found, than the strap match, which was more intense and personal because they're literally tied together. But this was still really fun stuff between two excellent wrestlers. Um, I thought maybe they'd give Starks his win back, as I said, but no, um, they didn't. Although he does seem to be doing quite fine, doesn't he? Like he's just become tag team champions alongside Big Bill, beating FTR in... A weirdly dominant one-sided victory. I don't know what's going on there. The At the minute, the rumor mill seems to suggest that there's no injury to Cash and that they're just going to do a, a rematch angle and just maybe FTR will just win it back. I mean, I, I hope FTR will win it back. Obviously, Cash Wheeler's got the impending legal issues and stuff, but they're still booking him and everything. So we'll just have to see what happens. I, I think that they probably don't want to pass up on the Young Bucks versus FTR 4. After, especially after FTR beat them at Wembley. Like, he, you know, I, I, I don't know the Young Bucks personally, but surely they're going to want to get their win back. They can't... <laughs> Matt and Nick Jackson aren't going to let FTR be, on, be up in the series and then just walk away, are they? I don't know. Uh, 
That one's a mystery. It's very intriguing, more so than the real-life storylines going on in the AW Tag Team Division. But yes, those were the TV matches I wanted to talk about in AW and WWE. Now, let's look at some different promotions. I call this segment, because this is normally the bit, right, where Tom, thank you very much, Tom, by the way, uh, for doing your marvellous job editing these podcasts. This is normally the part where Tom will go, right, I'm going to drop in that, you know, that Alan Partridge, let's see what this idiot did in America. So I'm very keen to see what Tom's going to do this time, because this section I call America and Mexico. And I guess there's an impact match or two in here as well. And impact is sometimes based in Canada. So I guess this is North America and we'll have to, we'll have to see what Tom does. Let's have a look at what this idiot did. North America. First match I want to talk about from Impact Wrestling's Victory Road event, the main event of the show between Josh Alexander and Steve Macklin. No titles or anything at stake, just two guys trying to get back to the top of the card and standing in each other's way. It's also a long-awaited match from when they were both involved in the title scene in Impact, and then it kind of got ruined by injury. Um, and this one was a really grueling contest. At one point, and I, I can't think off the top of my head if he always does this many, but Alexander did 10 German suplexes in a row. Um, and then Macklin with a terrifying dive to the outside at one point because it was countered by Alexander into like a belly-to-belly -belly suplex and just Macklin just splattered on the floor. You mad lad. There were one or two very minor missteps here and there. The most glaring one, like Alexander had the ankle lock on Macklin. Macklin did that reversal where like they do a forward roll and throw the guy uh, forwards so they have to let go. And it was that thing where they kind of mistimed it so Alexander, it looked like he just ran himself into the corner rather than Macklin's momentum taking him there. But again, that was very minor and it wasn't as probably wasn't as bad as I've described it there. Overall, I thought it was a great contest. Macklin, I don't think I don't think he looks weak in defeat either. Um, because you get the sense that Josh Alexander really had to dig deep to put him away. But Alexander remains amazing. I hope he finds his way back to the top of the card very soon. And I hope Macklin's there with him as well. Because they're both really good, fun wrestlers to watch, and they both make it feel real. They're both hard men. Um then the following night, I believe, the next match took place that I want to talk about because it was the main event of Impact 1000 uh, for the X Division title. Chris Sabin trying to win the belt back from Leo Rush. Uh, Rush had taken the belt from Sabin back at Slammiversary in what was kind of a like a weird non-match, really. He, he jumped uh, Sabin before the bell. Sabin bravely went ahead with the match anyway and lost in under two minutes. I don't know whether he was injured or something, and that was to protect him and just take the belt off him for a while while he recovered. But it led to this one anyway from, from September, which was very good. It wasn't quite what I was expecting, because I thought it was going to be like a pure, fast-paced, classic X-Division-type match. But instead, they really it was more of like an all-rounder kind of match. It was really cool. They mixed in some strike exchanges, some rule-bending, grappling for position, all kinds of stuff. And it all... It didn't feel like a horrible clash of styles, though. It all, f like, flowed together throughout the match very well. It was also a very ambitious little match for TV, which uh, seemed to go a lot harder than most TV main events would have, but it was Impact 1000, so I get why they did it. Uh, Leo Rush, by the way. I, obviously, Leo Rush is one of the great talents, great natural talents in, in all of wrestling. It's always mystified me that he's never never gotten as high as he deserved to in, in various promotions. There's always been rumors that he's hard to get along with backstage and stuff. I've never met him. I can't comment on any of that. I just think he's a, a superb wrestler. Uh, he was heel, he was heel in this one. It's always weird when you've got a heel high flyer because they they pop the crowd with their moves, but then you've got to boo them as well. But he made sure that everybody booed him, not only because he was against a beloved Impact Wrestling legend in Chris Sabin, but also by with you know with facial expressions, with just doing little things between big moments, just to reinforce the fact that you guys you've got to be booing me, and they did. 
Um, Sabin, the company hero, manages to pull out the win, and the crowd are absolutely buzzing. We get a big babyface celebration in the ring with Sabin up on the roster's shoulders to end the episode. Just good stuff. Now, as I said, let's head down to Mexico for uh, the CMLL 90th anniversary show. 90th anniversary. CMLL is the oldest wrestling promotion still going in the world today. Older than WWE, obviously. 90 years is ridiculous. Like, I don't understand how they've been going that long. Um, Massive respect to the promotion for doing so. And they had a couple of great matches this month as well to celebrate. Uh, This one, yes, as I say, was from the 90th anniversary show. And it was unique. It wasn't the best match I've seen this year, but it was one of the most different matches I've seen. More by circumstance than by design, by the way. This was Volador Jr., the babyface, like this legendary babyface in CMLL, taking on uh, Angel de Oro, this cocky heel, hair versus hair. And like I say, it wasn't the prettiest match, but it was a great story. Uh, They just had a tag team match one match earlier on the card, the pair of them together, because they had to win their tag match to to get the right to have this match, to like have this hair versus hair encounter. So they really wanted to work together to win to then get the chance to beat the other one and, and make them have their head shaved. Um, great, great build up there. They obviously did win that match. Imagine if they just hadn't. Uh, and it led to this one, which I'll explain what happens, right? So Angel de Oro lays in a really vicious heel assault at the start, early on the outside, starts swinging Volador's leg, uh, starts swinging him by his legs, body first, into the crowd barrier. And Volador, I don't know what the injury actually was, but he injures his arm uh, or shoulder. Legit as well, it was a real injury. A doctor gets in the ring looking all out of place. You know when someone's in a ring who doesn't know how to move in a wrestling ring and you're like, wow, they look very out of place. It was a real doctor. He's trying to check on Volador. De Oro, being a heel, shoes him away. He kind of leaves the ring awkwardly. And um, I thought, maybe it's a work. And then Volador legitimately had to stop the match for a brief moment to get strapped up on the outside. And then throughout the rest of the match is clearly working with one arm. Like, he carried on the match. Obviously, you wouldn't recommend any wrestler do that. And it's good that times are changing these days and that wrestlers perhaps don't feel as much like they have to complete the match and everything. But I've just got to say, what a brave performance it was, to be fair, from Volador. Not that I would... Like, if I was his mum, I'd be like, don't do that again, Volador, go to the back. But, um, yeah, he, he was, and it, when I say he was working one-handed, they just went ahead and had the match they planned anyway. They didn't cut any spots out. Volador's doing dives to the outside with one arm clutched to his body. It's insane stuff. And like I say, it doesn't result in the prettiest match ever, but it's an incredible effort from both men, but especially from Volador, who uh, wins the match. And uh, De Oro angrily gets his head shaved, but like in a defiant sort of cool way. So looking forward to seeing more of him. And Volador, man, I hope he's doing all right now because that was that was a very brave effort. The next match is also from CMLL, but it's from a different show. Also in September, this is from Noche de Campeones or Night of Champions. Uh, Mascara Dorada versus Titan. Now... Don't confuse Mascara Dorada with the other Mascara Dorada, who is Grand Metalik in WWE, as he was known in WWE. This is Mascara Dorada 2.0. <clears throat> a much younger man, 21 years old, I believe. And this was just a high-level Lucha Libre match. I was a big fan of Titan already, from stuff that I'd seen in his stints in New Japan or the odd CMLL match here and there. I was like, yes, he is my boy in CMLL. I love him. I'm not sure if he's my boy anymore, because Mascara Dorada is unbelievable. I'd obviously have to watch a few more of his matches to know whether he's this consistently good, but I actually thought he was the slightly more impressive of the two. Not to not to disgrace my boy Titan or anything, but it was just an unbelievable performance. I guess you also have to factor in that he was the plucky young challenger here trying to take Titan's title from him. Um, so the crowd are really behind him, and he gets to do the slightly more eye-catching stuff as the de facto baby face of the match, although they're both faces. I think Titan's a face still. Ooh, correct me if I'm wrong, please, but I think he is. Uh, but yeah, Dorada's the underdog, gets to do the more flashy stuff, and boy did he as well. Um, it's obviously a fast-paced Lucha Libre match, but they don't go overboard with the spotty stuff. Well, they do, <laughs> but not as much as I've seen them do in CMLL, or especially in AAA sometimes when it's all a bit chaotic. I've, by the way, if CMLL versus AAA is like a, a rivalry, a big war, I'm on CMLL's side. I said that to Matthew, Botchamania Matthew, and he was so disappointed. He was like, you've got to be AAA, Jack. I'm like, no, nah, mate, CMLL for life. Really good stuff. Finish was actually a submission, though. So kind of similar to Sabin versus Leo Rush. They did 
predominantly focused on high flying stuff, but they slowed it down here and there. And, and and the finish was a submission, like I say. Mascara Dorada caught in this submission, bravely crawling his way across the ring to the ropes, but tapping out just before he can get there. I think that's a really inventive, quite unique finish, and I really enjoyed it. And obviously it gets you big sympathy for the baby face. He's tried so hard, but he didn't quite get there. And Titan with another great performance, another great defense of his title as well. Bloody hell, I've only got two more matches to talk about, but they were both excellent, and they both came in Japan. So let's waste no further time. September, he is celebrating his 25th anniversary. He was my idol growing up. I would love to be in the ring with Manichu Marikachi. The ball is in Noah's court. Marafuji, 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 Marafuji son. So coming out to Marafuji's music was so cool. <laughs> 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 I was excited. I want Marafuji to win. <laughs> ヤバい。ヤバいね。今、腰を相当打ちました。丸藤が点を置いている。超前になっております。もうこれ以上チケットはないというところまで埋まっているゴーラケンホール。スプレイヤー、リースラム。さあ、フライト開始。ああ、これ食らったらやばい。何があるか
First of all, you know that spot I just mentioned from the Marafuji match where Osprey gets in the ring and immediately gets hit with a coast-to-coast dropkick? Osprey did that to Suji in this match. Now, I don't know if that's a, a regular Osprey thing. I can't think off the top of my head. But if he's taken that deliberately from the Marafuji match and used it in his very next big singles match, that's fantastic storytelling. You don't get psychology like that from everybody. <laughs> I thought that it showed the versatility of Osprey going from one match where he's very much the less experienced guy to a match where he is the more experienced guy by far. And they're both, they were both excellent matches in different ways. Also, Suji is a big weirdo, isn't he? Like, he's smiling at Osprey all the time. He's really creepy, deliberately so. But it works so well. Because he's not creepy in, like, a Hiromu Takahashi way, where he's, like, this little reckless rascal. He's a big boy. And he's unhinged. And he's like a zombie. It's crazy. He's also, a, like, yeah, he's a big, intimidating guy especially when he goes for these high-flying moves with all his weight behind them. For a comparison, think of... And I love this move, by the way. You know when Drew McIntyre does his big plancher or his big, like... Yeah, he does his big, like, plancher to the outside. And you're like, wow, a guy like Drew shouldn't be able to do that. But he kind of takes on the form of a cruiserweight when he does it, doesn't he? He's all, like, light and effortless as he jumps over the top rope. I'm sure it's not effortless. I'm sure it's very difficult. He kind of does it like a smaller man would. Suji has no time for that and comes out... you like a train, like... I don't know this, but if I had to choose, you've got to catch either Drew doing his thing or Suji doing his. I'd catch Drew because he just seems to make himself fly. Whereas Suji, <laughs> all his body weight's going into that. And it looks spectacular when he does those, those high fly moves to the outside. The ending sequence of this match was great as well. Suji used the Stormbreaker, Osprey's finisher. Osprey, a little bit later on, used the Spear, which is one of Suji's big signature moves. Suji then kicked out a one. Osprey is like, right, let's put him away then. Starts to set up for the hidden blade. Suji starts just walking towards him with this smile on his face. And Osprey's like, what the hell is going on? Elbows him, hidden blade, Stormbreaker, one, two, three. Like, Osprey does put him away. But it was an excellent little ending to the match. Like, you knew that Suji was beaten. But he was still coming at Osprey and being a creepy man. I loved it. Wonderful match. I'm a big fan of Suji. A big things in his future for certain. Um, <clears throat> when I was thinking then, I, I just thought... Last second of an extra match to throw in. Final of, of Stardom's uh, tournament that's been going on, and, and it culminated this month uh, with the final, the five-star Grand Prix, which was Suzu Suzuki, my girl, maybe my favorite Stardom wrestler, taking on Micah. Now, I'm not too up-to-date on what's going on in Stardom's storylines at the minute. Um, apparently, Suzu has been teaming with Micah and other members of Micah's stable recently as well, but I don't know why, and I don't know why they're friends. But uh, they weren't friends in this match because it was competition time. It was the final of the five-star the five Grand Prix. This match was good, like really good stuff. I enjoyed watching it. It was definitely one of my matches of the month. But I, I wish it was longer. And that sounds like a weird thing to say, doesn't it? Because in Japanese promotions, they often go, they're often guilty of their main events going way too long. And it takes away some of the impact of those matches. But in this case, it went like 14 minutes. And I wish it had been given more time because... It felt like they were kind of just getting going and then they were into the finishing sequence. And I was like, everything was good that they did. But for a tournament final, you just want a little bit more than that, don't you? Or I do anyway. I noticed on the show there were a load of matches as well. Like, it, it's not like when New Japan have a dedicated show for the final of the G1 Climax, where that's the only tournament match on the card. This was still full of tournament matches and then the final came after all these bouts. And I think maybe it suffered because of it. I'm not saying that shorter matches are a bad thing necessarily in main event spots. It can often work very, very well. But in this case, mm, I, I wish it had been given five minutes more, if that. And it, I think it would have made all the difference. Still a really great match. Check it out. Suzu Suzuki picks up the win. My girl has won the five-star Grand Prix. And hopefully we'll get a whole load of bigger matches as a result. Because she deserves it. Because she's stupidly talented. That was it for my matches of the month for September. Now let's take a look at the countdown. So my top 10 matches of September 2023. At number 10, we've got Gunter versus Chad Gable on Raw. Number 9, Titan versus Mascara Dorada. Number 8, Impact Wrestling, Leo Rush losing the X Division title back to Chris Sabin. Number 7, the Texas Death Match between Brian Danielson and Ricky Starks. Number 6, Carmelo Hayes versus Ilya Dragunov for the NXT Championship. Number 5, Will Ospreay versus Naomichi Marafuji. Number 4, Orange Cassidy versus John Moxley for the international title. Number 3, Kenny Omega versus Kanosuke Takeshita at also 
also at All Out. Uh, Will Ospreay versus Yota Suji is number two, the match that I've just talked about there. And number one, Brian Danielson versus Ricky Starks in the strap match. There we go. Now, let's take a look at my overall top 10 standings of 2023 so far. Number 10, it's still clinging on. It's the main event of All In, a match that I probably... I'm biased in favor of because I was there. Uh, MJF versus Adam Cole. Um, number nine, Brian Danielson versus Ricky Starks. The strap match. It's made it. It's cracked the top 10. Number eight, Suri versus Suzu Suzuki in stardom. Number seven, FTR versus Bullet Club Gold. Two out of three falls. Number six, Tomohiro Ishii versus Luke Jacobs at Rev Pro. Uh, all in weekend. Number five, Kenzo Miyahara and Takuya Nomura versus Yuma Aoyagi and Naoya Nomura in All Japan way back at the start of the year. Number four, Kat Sigo Nakajima versus Kento Miyahara, a very personal feud. Noah versus All Japan. Who's going to win? I know who won, but actually I won't spoil that one in case you've missed the episode where I talked about it because you should go and watch it. Uh, number three, Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. Number two, Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay at Forbidden Door. And number one, still my match of the year so far. Can anything topple it? We're running out of time. It's Gunter versus Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre. WrestleMania Night 2. So there you have it. Those are my top 10 matches of the month and of the year so far as well. Thank you very much indeed for listening. There won't be as long a wait until next time for October's matches of the month. And we've already had quite a few excellent candidates to choose from. So once again, thank you very much for watching. I'm on Twitter at JackTheJobber if you want to shoot me any recommendations and I will endeavor to watch them. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed. Thank you very much indeed. Feedback is always appreciated. And thank you very much to Tom Campbell for the edit on this series. Uh, I've been Jack from Coldaholic and I'll see you very soon. Can, can you say the thing you yeah, say? Yeah, it. say the thing. Say it. You know the thing. What? Say it. You know what I'm what, talking what, about. What, what, thing? what thing? What thing? Come on, Come on the, the word thing. you say kind of funny and it makes me chuckle every time. You know the one. Yeah. Oh, he knows. He's going to say it. Listen, listen. He's, he's going to do it. it. He's going to do it. He's yeah, going to yeah. do it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 